Oh, hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 317. Joining us, the longest tenured, most appearanced person in podcast history, I think. Phil Farda returns from two years off, a full two years. I didn't even plan it to be on the date, but that's the way it goes sometimes with this pod. Uh, yeah, first visit in two years, so we went almost an hour, had a great conversation uh, about stand-up comedy, about stage time trivia, about gym stuff, uh, about returning to live trivia, about the pandemic, all sorts of conversation points because we love to chat. Uh, also this week, we will talk about the weird CAT scan I had to get. Uh, we'll talk about some pop culture stuff. We'll talk about Space Jam 2. Uh, we will talk about the passing from Bismarck. He's some history lessons. We'll take you back to the year 1996. Uh, and we have some animal news. All of this, uh, all of that, folks, this week and so much more. As always, we are happy to have you here for another episode of the Uticast. Oh, yeah. happens sometimes i talk about it all the time and i don't i don't i swear to god i don't plan things out this way mm. phil fart is back it's been a long time since phil's been on the show mm-hmm. uh and when i was doing the research the last time he was on the show was july 21st 2019 mm. two full years of episodes on the dot essentially mm. uh i always thought that was weird thought that was strange kismet but it's been a long time since we talked to phil so we were happy to have phil stage time trivia stuff uh, comedy CNY stuff. Great conversation with Phil. And, as a lot of the conversations have been lately, very long. Conversations are always long. <laughs> You've been saying conversations lately long for like three and a half years. No, I feel like the last like four weeks they've been in the like the 45 to 50 minute range. You've been where... talking like friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those. catching up. Like people that you got reason. Not like new people where it's like, hey, let's get to know you. But we're like... Catching up and just talking about personal life stuff as opposed to interviewing about, like, you know, specific about the guest or what the guest is, like, doing their thing. It's more of, like, a catch-up with people who are sort of recurring that's to true. some degree. No, that's true. Which and I think probably tends to go longer because there's always preamble and sidebars and tangents. I always think about it with people I know. I go into the interview with stuff to talk about. And then they have things they bring to it as well. Sometimes yeah. if it's a new person... Uh, I tell them you don't have to do anything. Like don't. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll do all the prep work, right? So I'm not always prepared for when somebody comes in with like 10 to 15 minutes of their own sure. content, right? Like all right, yeah, yeah. just have to plug this in. Uh, so yeah, great, nice long conversation with Phil Farda. Kevin's here, obviously. Yes, Kevin. here I am. Hello. Kevin. How's life, Kev? What's going on? Um, it's good. Things are good. Yeah. I have very few complaints. Had a nice little weekend. Yeah. Nice uh, weekend off after we played. Like I think. Six shows in eight days over the last like ten, so it's been nice to have some time off. Yeah, time no, off I feel that. that. Just nice to have some days where I'm not like drop sprinting to go meet like a load in time and sound check in the middle of the day, every day. Weekends you get used to, but when once they start piling yeah. up during the weekdays, it just gets a little, little scrambly. Well, this is the time I feel like. 
Yeah, summertime because yeah. Every, everybody who and, and places are expanding too. I mean, we're yeah. playing. We played some stuff this year and have some stuff later on the books that are places we've never played before, or mm-hmm. places that are new and have never really had bands before. There's it seems like there's a big movement for places to be. Um, much like our friends up at Woodland, there's a lot of places who are like, yeah, we've got a whole field and we'll mm-hmm. get a stage and we'll get lawn yeah. games and picnic yep. tables and like that more to like farm open space style seems to be more popular and it's conducive to having large bands and loud bands and stuff because you don't have to worry about cramming in a room or whatever. So certainly seems to be the way it's trending and you know, I'm never going to look the gift horse in the mouth. I'm happy to make the money from all these shows, but it's nice to have a couple of days off. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, speaking of hearing that, how about a year update for you guys? Hit them with it. Uh, so it turns out I do have a hole in my eardrum. So what we're saying is if you have some sort of medical problem and you're up in Old Forge, Old Forge, popular destination for a lot of our local listeners of the show, uh, don't go to the town of web Health medicine <laughs> man <laughs> above the antique shop. Uh, they were very nice folks. Uh, turns out I had a hole in the eardrum. Mm-hmm. And it was infected, so I'm on the antibiotics mm-hmm. for a couple more days. Got to take them all. Got to take them all. It's important. Uh, and then I go back. Then I go back next week to find out what the deal is. This morning, though, I had to go out this morning to get like an imaging thing done. Yeah. And I I didn't really know what to expect. Like, oh yeah, we got to get like a, a scan of mm. you, right? I didn't know I was gonna have to lay down and get in like a full. Like cat scan style. Oh, yeah, I'll put you right machine. in. Machine, yeah. yeah. MRI uh, machine, probably. Yeah, MRI, yeah. Super unsettling, by the way. Really mm. not a fun. You gotta, you just gotta give yourself over to, like, the narrative. You know, the narrative you can crop up in your head sometimes where it's like, ah, oh, I'm in a movie right now. You just gotta go with it and be like, ah, oh, I'm going into the spaceship. Here we are. I'm more stuck thinking about, like, well, I wonder what kind of rays I'm getting hit with right now. As Plenty. I'm, as I'm through this circle. As I'm being like lifted through the air and brought through this circle, I'm like, I have a lot of rays, mm-hmm. I would imagine, going through all my stuff. And then there's like an announcement when you're in there. It's like you can open your eyes. I'm like, nope. I don't know. I don't. I know. Probably it's fine, but nope. I'm good. It's like repetition works, David. Yeah. You're like, all right, you know what? <laughs> this is enough. I don't want to be in here anymore. Uh, it was uh, unsettling, but we will see. I think the general consensus is I will get my hearing back. You love, you love to hear you like to, yeah, yeah, you do. You do. You do. Um, but I am skeptical. Mm. I'm kind of forgetting about it sometimes now, too. Yeah, you, 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 you kind of forget how used to anything you can get. Really, <laughs> yeah, though. Like, you know, when there's true. any kind of like wild change in life or like trauma in life or tragedy or something changes, human beings have become what we are because of our adaptability, yeah. I think. And sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for just how adaptable we are. Like, yeah, it'd be a huge... I mean, if you... You know, knock on wood, if you lost your foot, it'd be terrible. But you, you, you be tough. You get around it eventually, and like you would get to a point where three months, six months, a year down the road, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I forget that this is even, this is just normal now. You yeah. know what I mean? So, with something like that with the hearing, you know, you got no choice but to keep hearing. So, you just adjust. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for everyone else because I've noticed that all my volume numbers have gone up. Mm. I mean, and I know that I already have like a high threshold. That is true. That, that's actually true. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think about that, but I, you're I've right. Noticed. I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, I, I try and keep the numbers down when I look at the numbers going up, and it's like, ah, I'd like to hear what's yeah, going on. Yeah, you've been cruising up in that heat, and you got to change over. You're going to have to be a subtitles guy. Subtitles guy. Mm. Well, it's tough hang sometimes for some time. We just watched two and a half, 
almost three hours of The Godfather this morning. Accidentally. Accidentally. Yeah, you, I, I mean, you. I blame your your no conscience uh, play button habits for that. I just, I came through the room and it was like the first seven minutes of The Godfather. I think it just started when you came out of the room, yeah. Yeah, yes. and I was supposed to have to go something to do this afternoon anyway and it ended up getting canceled on me. So I was like, well, ah. Uh, all right, we're gonna go do a little bit of laundry, but I got, I got, I'll watch The Godfather for like thirty minutes. I'm like, well, I'm in this part. This scene is next. I'm like, well, I might as well at least get until Michael makes it to Sicily. Well, he's got to come back from Sicily. The next thing you know, speaking of a movie that might be enhanced with subtitles because Brando can barely speak above a whisper. Nice, killing it. He's no, he's great, but it's like a lot of like the early stuff. Just like, Ugh. I'm like, oh Jesus. I feel like at this point, people like. You and I don't need to like if we don't remember. We know what he's saying. Yeah, no, we know all lines. <laughs> I think subtitles are a tough hang on some movies, though. Um, my partner in crime likes to. She always likes to have subtitles on for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's fine. I don't mind it, but it's tough sometimes in a horror movie. Yes, because the subtitles can pull you out a little bit, and they can give away some stuff. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a fast reader or like. Some sort of like stage cue with the music or like ominous or like shuffling in the background or different things like that that can sort of give up the game so you're not like right in there yeah. along for the ride, so to speak. It'll pull you out of it. Well, also, I don't like when they put like, I know you have to put this, but it's like creaking intensifies parentheses on parentheses. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, that yeah. doesn't do it for me. Because the subtitles are for people who actually, actually yeah. have instead of just me who's like, eh, my air conditioner is too loud and I can't understand the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> Which is actually a very real thing. If I watch Peaky Blinders in the summer, I have to have subtitles because you can't understand those guys at all. You ever? I was thinking about this. Do you ever like grow up listening to a song and then not know the lyrics and then oh yeah, find tons it, of them. and then you find out the lyrics? You're like, oh, that's what that's not what tons I thought it was at all. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a lot of tons and tons of them. Uh, a lot of rap songs from when I was a kid because there'd yeah. be stuff that was like so fast that I would know like the vowels and the syllables mm-hmm. and the noise, but not actually the words. You know what I mean? A lot of stuff like that. Yeah, that being said, shout out to subtitle technology over the years. Do you remember like when subtitles first started showing up, like closed captioning essentially? Yeah. It was always kind of wrong. Take up a quarter of the screen, it was yeah. all misspelled. You know, there was like a guy in the TV furiously yeah, typing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so even to, for all my complaints here about because well, I think now that everything is done digitally, I think probably, if I had to guess, um, you probably send your package with subtitles. You probably take care yeah. of it in-house. Like if you're, like I was talking about Peaky Blinders, when they send to Netflix, they probably send it, they probably take care of the subtitles on their end and have yeah. them. So it's like they're going to be presented in this size and this font, this is the way that we look, this is how we want them to fit in with the mm-hmm. show. So I bet it's pretty common practice with newer things, as yeah. opposed to like if you go back to Fresh Prince and you just toss it in an AI or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, let's stick with some entertainment news while we're already in the zone here. Uh, this is not so much entertainment news as it is, it is an interesting thing about something that you and I both like that I thought you would find interesting. Mm. Uh, so this is from the Talking Sopranos podcast this week, or mm. last week. Your boys. They interviewed Ricky Gervais, mm-hmm. who's a fan apparently of the show. And this sort of tidbit came out that uh, HBO once gave James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano, $3 million to turn down an offer from NBC to replace Steve Carell on The Office as an effort to preserve his legacy as Tony Soprano. Mm. Uh, I don't know how true this is, right? Like, this is just something that was talked about Well, they said, well, he gave him the money to pick up the option on the night of. 
to basically yes. keep him in yeah. house and keep him on like a development deal so he couldn't go work for NBC and be like, hey, we'll give you three million bucks. Yeah. We'll develop that show you want, James, but you know, ah, you got to stay with us. Yeah. You can't go up here for anybody Apparently else. Apparently he wanted to do it. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, why not? He seems like, I mean, he's a he's a great comedic actor. Uh, he's like a funny guy. For folks who like The uh, the Office more than The Sopranos, this is presumably around the time when Spader would have come in to yeah, yeah, play the sense. Robert California character. So you could have had James Gandolfini, theoretically, in the I Robert just would have liked to have had role. that one scene where Michael Scott thinks that the guy is in the mafia, <laughs> yes. the salesman. Have that guy be Gandolfini and make it like one of those weird hour-long episodes. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, but here's an even better one. Another thing that came out in April that I did not hear. Edie Falco, during mm. her interview, who played Carmela Soprano, revealed that her and James Gandolfini reprised their Sopranos characters... For an exclusive 2010 video that was sent to LeBron James to convince him to play for the Knicks at the time, oh, and no, wow. and no one has seen the video. Oh my! And I God. need to see it. Oh man, where is that? <laughs> where is why is people sitting at this where video? Where is that? I need it so bad. It's everything I'd ever want in my life. Shout out to a good friend of the pod, Jason Concepcion. He's got to throw some resources behind that. Yo, get that video tracked down. Uh, and I didn't even plan this. Since we're talking about LeBron James, I guess we can move to the last piece of entertainment news. Mm. Kevin, people are big mad at the new Space Jam. Reviews are poor mm-hmm. for the new Space Jam. Yeah, yeah. Space Jam, a new legacy, by the way, is what it, it's called. Yo, it blows my... Go ahead. No, 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 no please. Go ahead. No. <laughs> it blows my mind on a day-to-day basis how many people forget that they are not 10 years old anymore. Like, everyday people just... They're mad. They're like, well, you know, there's... Plot holes, and no, there's, you know, the script direction, and whoever was uh, the cinematographer, it's like, Space Jam was a kid's movie. Yeah, Space Jam was sure. a kid's movie for children when the Looney Tunes had a lot more um, cultural capital to spend because they were a lot more omnipresent, because all of us that were, you know, 6 to 13 years old at that time grew up watching a lot of Looney Tunes in the morning. They were still on TV, it was still a thing people saw. And it was sort of the peak of that thing. And also something else I said about you, too. Um, Michael Jordan wasn't as exposed as LeBron James is because the culture's different. Yeah, very true. But, like, I, what what the hell did... What, what did you expect from Space Jam? Like, if somebody tells can, me they saw Space Jam <laughs> and they're disappointed, I do not know what to tell you. Can I, I, I don't know, man. No, can I... Can I, I agree with you. I totally agree yeah. with you. I think you're totally right. I went to McDonald's. The fries were gross. Yeah. That's what you get. I'm, I'm going to go to the other side just for conversation's sake. Please. There's a lot of entertainment that is made primarily for kids that mm-hmm. is also considered really well done mm-hmm. critically acclaimed entertainment space jam is not one of those things no but why not is what i'm saying i'm not saying that this why isn't this one better but like could why wasn't could the first this one concept, better yeah like could this concept work in theory like why aren't these movies good there's a lot of good kids movies this has like a lot of potential as like something that could be funny and meta and charming. And from everything I've read, and I haven't watched it yet. It's just not there. Yeah, because it's I mean it's just it's just a branding vehicle. Yeah, you know it's just to sell like toys and commercials and much like the first one that you know we're a lot more nostalgic about because we were kids at the time. But it's just really a branding exercise. That seems to be what a lot of people are saying. About you this know what is, I mean? And like people, yeah. and that's the same thing too. Like these same people <coughs> forget that they're not ten anymore. Yeah. Like don't realize that. Like yeah, a lot of the the movies and characters and shows and everything that we have been sold since the eighties is, is branding exercise and a marketing exercise. You know what I mean? So 
go i don't think the people who are involved in it i don't think any of their first priorities is to like write something like uh coco mm-hmm. by disney which is our you know which is by all accounts like this really like heartwarming and like you know heartfelt and soul-warming mm-hmm. story all this it's not what they're doing here you know what i mean what would yeah. it take to make this movie good or make the first Space Jam good, because I haven't seen this movie either, so I can't say what's, you know, quote-unquote bad about well, it. Well, I'm just thinking about it from, like, I get the, mar- I, I'm not naive to the marketing potential, right? Like, I sure. understand why you make this movie and why it exists. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, like, maybe, and this is not, I'm, I'm going to take a shot at, like, a big studio here, hot take. I understand that Warner Brothers isn't quite at the same level as, like, Disney Pixar when it comes to hitting out, knock, like, knocking it out of the park consistently with the children's entertainment, right? I don't think they hit that same pantheon. They, got a lot, they have a lot less uh, lot less in the war chest for IP yeah. and for stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, like, I love the Looney Tunes, right? Mm-hmm. But the Looney Tunes isn't, like, it's not as relevant in culture the way Disney is. You know it, what I'm saying? It was already, it was... Like, back when we were kids, that Looney Tunes culture was what the stuff of the 80s is now, right? It's the 80s and the 90s. It's what our parents were showing us as young kids because it's what they remembered from their time, right? Like, all those famous, like, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, you know, cartoons that were on and all those people, that stuff was all the 1930s, the 40s, the Mm -hmm. 50s, Mm -hmm. into the 60s. Like, that was old. That was 20, 30, 40 years old when we were watching it then, and now they haven't done much to really foster or advance or, or build the, the culture around yeah. the Looney Tunes like Brandon property. So you just can't expect kids today to care the same way the kids like us did about like, yo, it's it's Bugs Bunny and LeBron James or Michael Jordan yeah. or whoever. If this movie is Mickey Mouse and LeBron James, the more people go see it. Um Maybe. Does Mickey Mouse have, like, higher cultural... Yes. Yeah, yeah I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, probably. That's a shame. Probably. <laughs> oh, boy! That was my best Mickey Mouse. I bad. mean, it would there would certainly be a lot more room for people to make, like, clumsy, off-brand points about, like, China. They're like, oh, you know, oh, Mickey, yeah, Disney, true. LeBron. It's true. China. We all watch South Park, guys. I get it. Uh, all right. Uh, let's do... Let's do... Uh, so put South Park with an athlete. Have them play the make them the basketball players. Get South Park, with, like, yo, but get them with somebody like off brand, like Goran Dragic, and <laughs> all that. Boy, on Bogdanovich, yeah, and yeah. South Park boys. Uh, let's do some big energy. Uh, this week's big energy segment uh, goes out to this woman. There's the headline: Woman hits multiple cops in wild police chase, gets arrested while ordering food at McDonald's drive-through. So in the middle of massive police chase. Attempts to pull into McDonald's drive-through as a way to escape the police and does not work. She did try and order some nuggets though while she was on the run, which I—it's a big power energy move. I mean, you got to—you got to pad the the alibi. You can't be in that line without an order in the system if you're trying to use it as an escape. You got to have an order in the system. <laughs> Stolen pickup truck from the 38-year-old uh, woman who did this. Worcester, Worcester, Mass. So I'm sure that it was definitely everyone was sober. I would imagine it mm. was out of Massachusetts. Big energy pulling into. Drive through in the middle of police chase. Wild, wild energy. Uh, sort of a sad one out here for folks today. Uh, Biz Marquis, pioneering rapper, uh, famous for the song Just a Friend, which people I think is probably the most, mm-hmm. uh, dies at 57. A lot of times I have like a big hot take about like artists like who pass away. I, don't, I only remember Biz Marquis really from Just a Friend. Mm. And everything I sort of learned about him came later on like in, in by osmosis, just mm. learning about hip hop and other stuff. 
Yeah, he was on. Um, he was on a bunch of like early Beastie Boys stuff that I saw him with, like on Anthology and things like yeah. that. He's a guy who you would always hear um, getting talked about by other people and name checked as like an influencer, yeah. a guy they know, or good at this or something like that. But culture at large certainly is, you know, just is that song is uh, a huge, huge part for him. His first official solo album was 1988's Going Off, but the one that was the most popular was his sophomore effort, The Biz Never Sleeps, which generated the most known song, uh, Just a Friend, uh, which eventually charted at number nine on the Billboard charts. Uh, I Need a Haircut, the follow-up to Biz Never Sleeps, is largely remembered for the court decision on copyright law uh, that sort of resulted in sampling right prices going way, way up Mm -hmm. from that point on uh, for the rest of time. Yeah. So, tough stuff. But yeah, Biz Marquis, pioneering legend. It's wild to see how many people, like... Again, you always... I highly recommend everybody watches the um, Evolution of Hip Hop documentary series Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Uh, You learn a lot of stuff about a lot of music you like. Yo, he... uh... He had an album out as late as 2003. So yeah, he, he kept yeah. putting stuff out. He kept trying to... Trying. Because it was 2003. That was like right at the end of high school. I remember yeah. uh, I remember him... People being like... Magazines being like, Oh, Biz Marquis is back. <laughs> ah, turns out. Uh, turns out, yeah. Turns uh, out. Undercooked. And we'll bring back uh, a special segment from the past. A little King's Corner here. Mm. A little Stephen King segment. Mm. Uh, Kevin... We talked directly about the Los Angeles Kings hockey yeah, team, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, Kevin, this is actually an older article... Mm. But uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. It's from September of last year. Stephen King is reportedly writing a novel sequel mm. to the classic story, It. Now, I'm not going to ask you whether or not he should or shouldn't write a sequel to something, because, mm. you know, he's a, he can do what he wants. Sure. How would you uh, present a sequel to It? Like, how would you make a sequel to a story like this? Uh, for folks who don't know, it's about a mm. cosmic entity. That... I think the tough thing is if you're going to do... Um, the another another twenty seven years or another thirty seven year, whatever the time yeah, period is between is. like the cycle of the the evil revisiting dairy. I mean, you could just fast forward that cycle. The characters would be old, but like he's old, so it's all yeah. right. They maybe have like some kids tie in some other stuff. If he the the what makes the book it work is the scale. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge book that there's so much time for asides in different places for you to learn so much depth about the characters, the setting, yeah. a lot of fringe characters who go to speak to like larger themes or give you a lot of context for things that play out in the book. If he were to take that same time and establish um, that world with maybe a younger generation who's somehow related to the characters we know from yeah. the first book, I could see something like that working. Um, I would be a little nervous about it. I would say, you know, probably for him, I would hope he'd be careful Everything I've read of his in more modern years that tries to do the thing he did so well back in the 70s and 80s and be the voice of, like, children and young people and really speak to, like, the mindset and what it's like to be, like, a young kid and everything, um, he has lost a couple steps on that. As he's further removed from youth culture and gets older, like, I've read some more recent books of his and he tries to write, like, the... The young teenager character, like the young kid, and like the way they're thinking their monologue, it gets a little like the cheese alarm goes off a little yeah. bit. We're like, ah, yeah, you don't, tough. you don't really know iPods and Justin Bieber are, do you? You're trying a little too hard. I kind of don't want it to be the seven kids, seven kids. That feels too on the. No- I'd almost rather have it be new kids in the town of Derry. Mm, mm, backward. Nope, we're going. No. Never mind. Never mind. You just, I got the idea. Get them on the phone. Oh, uh, we go back. Oh, we go back. Oh, I see. We go back. You write to me about the history of the evil uh, Bob Gray, Pennywise the Clown, yeah, the yeah, entity, yeah. the the deadlights, whatever you want to call it. 
but give me more historical context for you know the fire at the black spot or the meltdown of the Millworks. So you want a Godfather to this different? Uh, yeah, that's, that's prequel exactly, sequel. That's exactly what I want. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Huh. That's exactly what I need. Get him on the phone. Yeah. So <laughs> good. Excellent. All right, King's Corner. Uh, all right, let's get to this week's interview with. Again, returning guest, Phil Farda. Great friend of the podcast. Great friend of the podcast. For the longest time, he was considered the most appearances by any person on the show. Still might be up. Still a contender. He, he still probably is. I just haven't gone back to do the numbers. It's, pull the spreadsheet? I haven't pulled the spreadsheet up, I but see, it's, it's probably him. If not, uh, it is after this week's episode. Mm-hmm. Nice, long conversation with our good friend, Phil Farda. We'll back to the show in just a moment. What's up, bud? Hey, man. Oh, look at you. You're in like a proper studio. It's no, it's not. It's a, it's a trick. Is it a trick? Yeah. It's if you saw what's behind here, you would call CPS. <laughs> it looks and like I don't even have kids, but you would call a, CPS for me. It's. It looks like you're about to bust into a Twitch stream and play some Fortnite or something. Well, that's originally so. This I own this backdrop because of that. We used to have the. I had set up a studio in the basement originally, years ago. We were. I was going to do video game streaming. Yeah, yeah. And we did a. We did a couple streams, but it ended up being more difficult than I imagined. We could never figure out the logistics of it because I always wanted to do like a version of the interview part of this show on like YouTube as like. Sam and Phil play Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time together, and then bust balls for 40 minutes, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. And then the logistics of like, wait, how do we film us playing the game while we play the game and then record the footage? It all seemed like a pain, and we were like, I don't want to do all this. So initially, that I the plan was when I was booking comedy, I was going to bring uh, comedians like to my home, and we were going to do that. We were going to play like yeah. an old retro game and just comedians hanging out playing video games. And uh, we had we we pulled off like a couple episodes. Uh, my buddy Ryan Neemiller, who was just a finalist on America's Got Talent last season, he was on one with us. But here's the trick: is that you need uh, you need an engineer. So we had like our friend Katie G was helping us, and Matt Barbudo, who does the the home show for New York Sash and stuff. So like we had they came over, and they helped run sound and video while we were while we were streaming. So. The idea that you're just gonna like press a button and then start playing video games, it yeah. doesn't work like that at all. I I don't know how people do it. Uh, I some I, the closest I ever got to doing anything like that was when I was playing Fallout 76 before my PlayStation got stolen. Um, there was some guy who like really liked the camp I built. Like I built, you have to like build a camp and it's like a multiplayer type game. Okay, so yeah, I built sure. like a, I built like a wrestling ring in the wasteland like you know, with <laughs> ropes and stuff and for whatever reason people were like oh it's hilarious he's like bro can i put this on my stream i was like what i do i have to do anything i'm like do i have to do sure. anything you have like, to sign oh. paperwork <laughs> do i have to sign any paperwork yeah. no. uh 
Uh, for folks, I didn't introduce you because I wasn't paying attention, but this uh, episode 317, of course, we are talking to the legend, Phil Farda, the man who for a really long time was the longest, uh, not longest running, but the most interviewed person who's ever been on this podcast. Most appearances, yeah. Most have, appearances. I been, have I been beaten? I don't know if you've been beaten because what sort of happened over the years is people who come on all the time sort yeah. of just become like recurring guests. Like a regular co-host or something, yeah. Yeah, like like Malik Gale from the Against the Algorithm pod is on so often that I just recall him like music correspondent, recurring guest Malik like, Gale. Oh, he's a resident, he got residency. Yeah, he had a residency, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, it, you for a long time, were, you're still probably the longest, highest, most appearances, but I was doing my, my quick research before you came on today and I was like, oh, I gotta look up last time that you were on the podcast. And I, this happens sometimes, and I swear to God, I didn't plan this. The last time you were on this show was July 21st, okay. 2019. So it is, by the time this show comes out on Monday, it will technically have been a full two years of episodes since the last time you were on. That's awesome, man. On the dot. Also, by the way, congratulations on the, your consistency. Your consistency is unmatched. <laughs> you know, it's like, in the, in the years you've been doing this, well, it's well over two now, right? Like, it's been, I got, it must've been what, five years, six years now, six years. Right. So in that time I've watched podcast studios launched and crumble and shows launched and crumble and everybody launched some new project and it's over. And here you are sitting in your living room, you know, like, you know what it is still doing it. I used to think it was just neuroses or just the fact that I was stubborn. Uh, I think as I get older, it's that I used to when I was a kid, I went to like Catholic church. I think I have like Catholic guilt. Like I feel like I'm supposed to do it every week. And if I don't do it, people will be mad. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I, that's, that's, I mean, that could be true or it could be entirely delusional. It's, it's probably delusional. I like, I think you're, to me, I look at it and I see the success is that you, you haven't tried to change too much. You got a four, you got the show and it's pretty simple and you execute every week. Whereas I think a lot of people, worry more about the production value or the how are we going to market it or they do they worry about all the other shit and you worry about getting it done and you get it done i used to have friends when we were growing up i used to have friends uh, I, when i was a kid a lot of my friends were musicians right and all the musicians i knew were like more talented than me they were better guitar players better like drummers and song craftsmen but what I was good at doing was writing like a three minute song and being like, that's it. The song's done. Let's move on to the next one. Whereas I knew a guy who would write like a 17 minute guitar solo track. I'm like, are you going to put lyrics on this? Are you going to, are you going to, is this a song or did you just noodle around on guitar for three hours? Like my skill back then was just like, that's it. It's done. Move on to the next one. And I think that's sort of been helpful as I got. Yeah. Yeah. You are the most valuable employee anywhere you, you work. For sure, dude. I'm telling you, I've like I've had so many friends who've launched podcasts in the last six years, and they didn't. I, I probably did one. I probably launched one and said, "Oh, now this is, this is too hard." It's you know what I think too, though. It's actually to something that you've spoken to. Like a lot of people worry about like the promotional stuff and like the the how can I make money off this and how do I fix up the studio? And I think a lot of it. I always jokingly say it's like laziness, but. Honestly, it was just the kind of thing, and this happens to me a lot, where I start something just sort of offhand, like, oh, we're going to start doing this show. We'll try and see it how it goes. And that was 317 weeks ago. We just never stopped. So right, I never right. had the opportunity to really just be like, oh, maybe we should stop and reformat. We kind of reformatted everything on the fly over 
like six years. <laughs> and and you know the to me the the biggest takeaway right if somebody's listening to this particular episode is the consistency is the most important thing, dude. Like you get it done, and and that's above everything else. That's the most important thing. Like, I and, and not just to, to podcast, but to in life in general. I, I haven't mowed my lawn in three weeks, dude. I, you you felt the need to come on here and like put me over that's very sweet of you uh no it's all genuine it's although dude if it wasn't genuine i would have just uh flaked on you well i appreciate that too. you gave me many opportunities to just flake right out of this and uh i i almost took it i was like i should mow the lawn and then i was like yeah you know what i'd rather talk to sam well you know it's funny i i was almost gonna let you do it because this is the part of the podcast over the last few weeks where i have to explain the stupid thing that happened to me and the guests already and the, the people who listen to the pod normally already know this i got injured a few weeks ago i got uh, a q-tip that went into my left ear and it hit me in the in the eardrum right is that why you're sitting in a wheelchair I'm not, I'm not in a wheelchair. Not, oh. <laughs> uh, it's just my squeaky doorway behind me. Um, no, so I kind of can't hear out of this ear at the moment. And I uh. went to see a doctor about it when it first happened. And they were like, oh, you know, it'll it'll heal up. But you didn't hurt it too bad. I went to an ENT today after a couple of weeks. And they're like, yeah, you have a hole in your eardrum and it's infected. So this morning. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had to go to the doctor and get like this antibiotics and shit. And I got to get like a scan on Monday for it. So I was real close to being like, I'm not really in the zone to talk to anybody now for the rest of the day. <laughs> I uh, I have some questions. I'm sure oh, you yeah. probably covered all this, but no, please. was it was this a Q-tip incident? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. So that all those stories I've heard are true. So they're, they say they're bad for you. Yeah, well, they are bad for I knew that they're bad for you. What I was doing is I had been in the shower and my ears were wet and I was trying to dry my ear out. Okay. Oh, you f idiot. Okay. Idiot. I know. Yeah. I know, stupid. <laughs> and what, what happened was, and I'll, I'll do the motion for you and people won't be able to see it. And people asked this question. I had a hat on when I'm in the bathroom because I got out of the shower and just put my hat on. What? I, I don't know. Stupid. And I go into the bathroom. I got the Q-tip in my ear. I look in the mirror. I'm sweating. So I take my hat off and I reach up to. Oh, I see now. Okay. And it, yep. And my, arm hit the q-tip and it went and to jammed head. it into your ear holy shit man and i was oh, that's entire that's all you though all right all q-tips aren't yeah, you can't blame q-tips for that no I, <laughs> it's not their fault i did right. it but uh it was my own fault um and i really it was pretty wild and really random oh, it must it sounds painful honestly dude it sounds really painful you know what the weird thing is everyone says that it happened so weird and quickly and suddenly that I kind of didn't notice. Like it didn't feel like I wasn't like, ah, my, my ear. Right. I just like, what the hell just happened. Right. Uh, and I still can't really hear out of this left ear. So we'll see. Uh, it's not, I'm not, I'm not laughing at your pain. It's, funny. Just, it's funny. I got mad. I'm glad you're I, all right. I told the doctor what happened the first time and she laughed and I got mad and she could tell that I got mad and she had to, she was like, ha ah, no, it's very serious. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I just yeah. I just had a checkup at the doctor for the first time in like four years. So, yeah. uh, a, a, maybe two months ago, I collapsed at the gym. Yeah. So I do this class at uh, at the gym, and I just got lightheaded and dizzy, and I fucking passed. I woke up, and I I felt like I was out for like twenty seconds, but they were like, "Now nah, you were out for a minute," and the paramedics came and everything. So did I was like, I, "I better get checked out." Did they tell you what happened? Like, what is it? A, did you get lightheaded? Was it a panic attack? Like what? Uh, I think I'm just a tub of shit. Like, so uh, what I'm getting at is like, 
I I went to the doctor. I got all the tests. They did EKG. I have a follow-up with a cardiologist, but I did blood work. Everything came back fine. They're just like, yeah, you're just fucking not an athlete. What, what are you doing? Like, I, I have no, I have no expl- explanation, man. How long have you been doing the gym thing? Dude, uh, no one would believe this, but uh, probably like four years. So I got in there. My, you know, Will Phillips, because he's been on the show. I My buddy Will that. got me into uh, MV Wellness over uh, in Marcy. Mm-hmm. And they do. It's just like a... I like everything about it. It's a short class. They just kick the shit out of you. And then they, you drive home feeling like a bag of shit. And it's yeah. great. Uh, it's what I want from a gym, you know? And so I was doing really well. I was in, before everything shut down, before the pandemic, I was in great shape. I was in best shape of my life. And then I, I put, I spent a year on doing all that. So yeah. that's what, it, yeah. And now, so I've been back since, uh, I think they reopened in February. We were working out with masks for a while, which was obnoxious. And now- that were fully reopened. It's it's feels more as it were as it were. Well, it's so funny because last week uh, Sarah Foster was on, and the first ten minutes of the show was me and Sarah Foster talking about the gym. Because I also recently, for the last like three months, I've been doing the gym thing, which I've never done because I looked at my tub of shit stomach after the pandemic, and I was like, this is no good. I look like that uh, the guy who used to be the logo for cheese back in the seventies, like uh, <laughs> just like so. Just, is it? For you, it's a physical thing. Like, are you trying to get into physically better shape? I'm a oh man, thirty five year old single man who's never like I, I feel kind of crummy about myself anyway. So the fact that I put on like fifteen pounds of stomach fat with still no muscles in my arms or legs, sure, I yeah. Like, I was like, I gotta do something to feel a little more uh, positive about my potential as a human being it started that way for me so i i'm a, i'm 41 now so i'm a little bit older than you but it started that way for me and now it's just become try i'm just trying not to die yeah like everything i go to the gym it's not i i've i've seen myself i this is probably as good as it gets and i'm fine with that i accept it but i'm also now i'm just like man i sure don't want diabetes it's just a tr- survival thing now well that's the thing that kills me is like my idiot brain was always like i just want to work out enough so that i can eat whatever the fuck i want and i don't have to be like oh, oh gonna... that that doesn't work like that no it doesn't work like that if you really want to lose weight and feel better about yourself you have to change your diet as well as go to the gym and that's why i always end up struggling it's like i'll go to the gym and i'll do treadmill stuff and i'll uh do weights and shit but then i'll go home and eat like a whole slice of pizza sure yeah so. that's i feel like that's the majority of people's problems yeah. i have the same issue it's, it's like 90 percent nutrition dude yeah. I, uh, so years ago, I came out of high school very fat, and then I lost about 60 plus pounds. Uh, and I did it with a strict diet. I was doing it, the, the Atkins diet was popular at the time. I, somebody convinced me to try it. And I lost like 25 pounds in, in three hours or something. It was really effective. Uh, and then I and I just would walk, I'd go for a half an hour walk every day, yeah. not even an intense walk, dude, just a casual walk. And uh, that's the, the exercises, I feel like has almost nothing to do with you like how you end up no and, and that's the thing too, all I, I bought the stupid uh apple watch oh i dude i got the i don't have it on right now which is i have a fitbit i had <laughs> to take it off because it was it was sopping wet like these workouts yeah. dude yeah. and there you're there's no air conditioning you're just like out in the yeah. humid heat of the day and uh i it was just sopping when i had to take it off but i have the fitbit and uh i like it well, I'd like that it like chides me throughout the day to tell me to stop being a piece of shit. It's like, hey, you haven't stood up in three hours. Why don't you stand up and walk around a little bit? Right. Yeah. Mine goes, hey, drink some water. Like, I'm water. not thirsty. 
like, it's like a parent that, yeah yelling at you i paid 300 dollars to have like a small digital parent on my wrist all the time it was a great to see it. Does, and yours probably does sleep tracking right i don't wear it when i'm going to bed. oh man i i i got in i didn't it's it's not as bad as i expected it but i can wear it to sleep and my sleep tracking is a disastrous dude my really? sleep is really bad yeah i used to do the one on my phone where you would like you put your phone, the app on your phone, and lay the phone on the bed next to you, and it would track your sleep. But I never understood how that even worked. Like, how does that make any sense? I don't think that's real. It doesn't feel like it's real, right? <laughs> no. <that's> a... <laughs> it seems like a scam. That's how I charge my phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just plugging it into the charger. Uh, uh, well, look, I only bring it up because, like, and I guess I should, I didn't mean to get a whole tangent here. but right. I'm, no, I'm glad you're working out, dude. I think everybody should exercise. Well, it's important I, to take care of yourself. Well, I think it's interesting that you say, you know, you lost 60 pounds before when you were younger, right? Yeah. And then get, yeah, yeah. can you describe like the difference for people who don't know what it's like to lose like that much body weight at once? Like, did you feel physically different afterwards? I've never like, I've lost a little bit of weight here. That's like a big body. Oh, weight. no, you'll, uh, I, it's a fat is a mental state, dude. I feel fat no matter what. Yeah. I've gotten down to like 170 pounds that I feel fat. Really? It's obvious. Yeah, it's like a fucking personality trait. I think fat people will tell you that. I don't know that some people, if you've never been fat, you don't understand. But when you're like, and I grew up fat my whole life. And uh, and so it's just, and you get bullied and picked on and shit. And I think it's probably gotten a little bit better. I feel like there's a little more empathy, like an anti-bully has sort of come around. But who yeah. do, what do I know? But uh, as like fair. growing up fat, it was just, it, that shit is embedded in your dna at that point dude like i, I can't think, get i don't think I, body, uh, like body positivity existed when we were growing up that was not a right thing. no yeah. no it, not at all not at all it was <laughs> like you beat the fuck out of the fat kid yeah and then you got high-fived each other that was yeah, the, yeah uh it's a dark but, time in the 90s <laughs> it was, yeah it wasn't <laughs> the best time of my life but uh here's one advantage i found of being fat as a kid is that now as an adult everybody thinks i look great like in comparison, you know, like if you were an athletic 20 year old man playing football and now you look at those guys in their, in their, their 40. Yeah. They're, they're fat. No matter what, you can't maintain that, that structure, you know, but in my case, I look great. People are like, wow, you really look amazing. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a big professional wrestling fan. And what I always think about when I'm watching professional wrestling, I look at a guy like, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to say like the ultimate warrior. Cause he's an easy context big muscular giant maniac like steroids yoked up so big he can barely move but i think to myself every time i watch like, those old videos i'm like that guy had to spend the rest of his life working out even after he retired or all that turned to fat right he doesn't really right. have it yeah. it doesn't just go away when you stop working out that all turns to something else the best you can hope for after 40 is just thin thin Yo, that's thin. it if, if i'm if i could be thin I'm done. But I'm like that. Huh? But what's actually thin? That's right. What nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> what I found, dude, and this is uh, helpful. This is just sort of helpful to anybody. Is that just you gotta? You always hear like body positive. You gotta love yourself. I switched recently to uh, wearing a speedo yeah. as a swimsuit. Uh, not well. It started out as a joke. It was like I, I got it for my birthday, and I was like, oh fuck, I'm gonna wear. The, I'm gonna be the fat guy in a speedo. Turns out. They're comfortable. They uh, they dry fast. There's a there's like there's a long list of pros 
to the speedo. It's why they wear them in England and Britain or whatever, fucking India. I don't know. Yeah. Everywhere else they wear the speedo is the standard. Which it's is just hilarious. like a yeah. And I, so I switched to a speedo, and they're so, great. And I appreciate you, got, you took it to the next level. I just read a huge GQ article this week about how five inch inseams are the the hot new look for shorts on men. Like sh- I was like, that's never gonna fly. And you've taken it all the way to speedo. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, the thing is, you just you reach an age like well i don't know if it's age what it i don't know what it is uh it's like i i used to hate myself and now i just don't care you yeah. sort of it becomes that where it's like oh this is this is fine <laughs> and i have i have like support i have a nice supportive loving circle of friends too so that i put the speedo on and they go you look really nice in that <laughs> and i go okay <laughs> like yeah before we get too far off track with with any stuff i do always like to give you a chance to do promotional stuff because a lot of times we'll just sit here and bust balls and we'll get of to any like so stage time trivia comedy cny stuff let's start with stage time stuff because i've noticed you guys are back up uh back out in the road now that uh, yes how has uh, that been how are people responding to live trivia again now that you guys are back in public uh dude it is so i i would say that it's almost as back to as it were everything's pretty good uh we so comedy was on pause that they we couldn't have ticketed events we got uh and then i just i let the bar start calling me as to when they wanted to restart their trivia night because it you know bars got crushed the whole restaurant industry oh my god it got hit so hard that it was like i didn't want to reach out to people and start trying to sell them you know a service like it's like you already got enough you know product shortages and staffing and overhead and all these different expenses you don't need me calling you like hey do you want to pick up that other expense that you know like that weekly expense that we had uh so i let the the bars decide when they want to pick up and we're back in seven locations uh so seven bars it's been and and they're they're all running pretty well like the the turnouts have been a great uh i've taken over the nail the nail creek and i do tuesday at killabrew um and both of those nights are pretty full man the bar's about as full as it's going to get which is real nice to see um, and I got a, and so where I'm also developing, we have this website where we sell the product nationwide. Yep. And, uh, I just signed up with Sightseeker, which yep. is Cliff's Cliff's company and, uh, Tom over there. Yep. And then, uh, Devin Mahoney. I didn't realize all these guys worked at Sightseeker, dude. They're all, it's, it's a wild, surprising company. People I know and like it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, when I sat down with them, I was like, oh, this is exactly the yeah. people I want to work with. So, uh, I signed on with them and we're developing the website and we're going to be doing more digital marketing and stuff just uh i needed the i needed i needed a team to help me get it where it needs to go because i don't i bootstrap a lot of shit but that's not something i can do oh yeah i mean that that's a good skill to have though is knowing your limitations as a as a, like I, I know there are people i know who i can get to help me with stuff that i can't do and i just know them and you know what i'm not going to pretend that i know something i don't know how to do <laughs> sure yeah and i think as a business owner or as anybody trying to start any project or entrepreneur it's like you you start off with such limited resources yeah. and you, you rely on friends and uh, favors a lot to get kind of what you need. Oh yeah. And that, that can only get you so far. You know what I mean? You can kind of like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to, I'm not too proud to ask for a favor. Like I'll, if my buddy's good with websites, I'll say, Hey, you know, can you give me a hand and look at this for me? Uh, but if you really want to get shit done on a deadline, you know, you need to hire a professional and, pay them properly so well, that's a good point too because that's my issue with leaning on like somebody i know uh like i use justin with made utica for example like 
I know how many people reach out to Justin for help on like website stuff. And then he never gets paid or gets, hears from him again. Like, it's not always as easy. He's like, yeah, I'm happy to do something for you. Cause you don't always know what you're getting into. Sure. Right. And yeah. I've, and I've been on both sides of that situation, yeah. you know, sometimes um, I've had people help me out and then I end up in a place where I can't necessarily hire that person, even though I'd like to, you know, yeah. it's like, sometimes you got to do what's best for your um, business. We had, I, one good example is I, I have a, like a car dealership that is a sponsor of us, ours. Yeah. And I wanted to buy a vehicle from them, but they just didn't have the vehicle that I wanted. And it was like, you got to kind of, you know, you got to like, you got to do what you got to do to get shit done. So it's like, well, you guys are great, but you know, not like $35,000. Great. Like I don't have that to throw you a bone with, uh, or what, you know, whatever, but it's, and the thing with favors is you, you can't really ask too much. You have a favor. You're, you're kind of just do for me what you can, when you can. And that, that just, and it usually end up, you just end up never getting shit done, right? Like if you have a buddy that's going to help you do work on your house, I'll help you build a deck. And it's like, yeah, it could take three years, you know? It could take three years. You have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, that's, and this is what I think about the website one specifically, because this is like a thing that Justin always tells me, right? A place will hire him to build them a website, but they don't have an, like a tech guy at their website. So he'll build you the website. And then three months later, they're calling him back to be like, hey, we want to make some changes. And he's like, right, well, right. Not, not your your IT guy. Like, I just built this thing for you and it's done. Like, it's a whole separate thing if you want me to like sure. come in and like fix your IP codes and stuff afterwards or be your tech guy. It's a whole different job. I, I'm not, it's not what I do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that, that would uh, maybe benefit, not, I guess in general, benefit him and, and anyone else who like, it helps to have things in writing. So I've always, yeah. well, I mean, once the business got more established, I started doing written contracts with the venues and, and, you know, if we book a show, it kind of details the, how the show's going to operate. And even if you're not going to enforce the contract, it helps to have just something in writing that you can, that you can reference, you know? So when they do that, it's like, well, this is, take a look at this and we, this is what we agreed to. Education stuff for like right now, I'm like trying to apply for all these education jobs in the summer. Because, you know, this is the time when you hire. And a lot of it is like, I'm happy to do stuff, but I need it written on paper that if I agree to do something, we're going to, it's going to be a real thing because I'm going to commit to it. So I need right. that yeah. commitment from somebody else, right? Uh, have you, so stage time is back up. Where's things standing with like stand-up stuff and comedy CMY? Have you guys been back up as well? or? Uh, so we just, I, I booked, I think so far we've had one show uh, at the Uptown Theater that just sort of fell into my lap. Yeah. Because it's the, the challenge with booking comedy the way I do it. So there's there's been like little local comedy popping up around Utica, which is cool, man. I love to see that. Um, I try, I'm trying to put on like more professional comics, bring them in from outside the area and stuff. And there's more involved. It's like you got to usually you have to set up accommodation. So there's like a hotel expense. There's travel expense. There's uh, it's a little more elaborate. So I've only been booking stuff right now that has fallen into my lap, which is like some of my friends will be traveling through the area. So my friend Karen from LA was like visiting her folks in the area. And she's like, Hey, do you got anything for me? And I'm like, yeah, I could, I could put a show together for you. Uh, and we did a show at the uptown and it sold out. It was really well received, uh, which is what I love to see. And that, so I'm kind of, and so I, my next show is uh, I'm working with Bill DePaulo out of uh, Rome. Mm -hmm. he, he runs entertainment services. So he's got the Rome Capitol theater on July 31st. He just reached out and said, Hey, you know, I want to, 
I have this date and I have the theater and something happened. Like he had another event fall through or something. And I said, yeah, I could. So we put together a comedy event, uh, July 31st. We're going to be at the Rome Capitol theater. Our headliners, Moody McCarthy, who was originally a Syracuse guy, but he's in the city now, been on Letterman and Sirius XM and That's Conan awesome. and, uh, America's got talent. He had an appearance on there. He's the guy's so funny, man. So, and we've, we've worked with Moody before. He's just a, he's a buddy of mine. Where, uh, where are you at with like writing comedy yourself these days in 2021? Have you, have you, you enjoying it still? Dude, that is a great question. So I got, uh, I'm on my first show of the year on yeah. August 6th. Me and Will are going to be at uh, buried acorn yeah. in Syracuse. So, uh, I'm not sure, dude, you know, it's like, I haven't been performing in a stand-up capacity regularly at all. I mean, I haven't been on stage since yeah. the last show I did was March 14th last year. Like before, right the weekend before the shutdown, we had a, we had a show booked and it, we kind of were, I was on the fence, you know, I'm like, is it irresponsible to go on with this show and gather people at, at this point? And uh, I we kind of, so like we had so many tickets sold and I consulted with a venue and they were like, yeah, we want, we want to run the show. And I said, all right, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it was just a weird time. Uh, and so we, we ran the show and it, it did fine. And, uh, and then that like following Monday, they shut everything down. So I haven't been on stage since then. I've been writing like just for my own, I got a little notepad, you know, and I jot down like little fucking ideas and bits and things. Uh, but I haven't brought anything to the stage in that capacity. It's funny you say that. The last thing that I was, I got asked by Devin Mahoney from the Uptown when they sure. were trying to do like that sort of late night YouTube show. They were trying to pitch. This is right at the start of the pandemic. I recall, yeah, they uh, they put a couple of them out. There was like, there wasn't, there, yeah. there was a few episodes, right? Yeah. And he had asked me to do one. So I went down that, I think it was that weekend that everything shut down. And I went in there and they were doing it anyway. And there was nobody really in the crowd. And it, we just had to kind of go on with it. And it was very strange. You just sit up. And I think I, I was supposed to do three monologues and the first two, you know, was playing off the crowd. And the third one, I just went up there and I was like, so what's everyone's thoughts? Like, are we, are you scared? It's okay to be scared if you want to be scared. Right. And we just had like a conversation. Like we didn't even, I didn't even do anything yeah. because we, I don't think anyone knew what the right answer was at that time. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a really <laughs> awkward time, man. Like without, no, it was like, is the world going to end? Like, should I, yeah. Like, what if I what if I have a comedy show and six people die yeah. because of my show? I don't want to do that. Yeah, um, it, it's yeah. really, as a history teacher, I find it to be, it's one of those weird things that I wonder how we're going to teach. I can't tell you how we're going to teach it in school because it's not over yet. We're still like in the middle of like how this is all playing out. Right, so, and somehow there seems to be a dispute over it, right? Like it's not, like yeah. not everybody's on the same page with no, what's I happening. Don't. <laughs> that's 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 odd to me but uh, i understand with the scientists and doctors generally because whenever i don't know something or something bad seems to happen i usually have to go to a doctor for it or a scientist oh, i agree like I, i'm sure we probably land on the same side of this but yeah. i don't really it's i kind of i'm of the i'm of the attitude that like everybody can do whatever they want so oh, when yeah. somebody decides to be <laughs> against this I, or, or just i don't even know what the what the stance is for for the other side I Not, think, and nor do I want to get into it really, but no, we don't have to get into it. I, I do think what makes me sad about it is that something as uh, common as like public health can become an issue that is politicized. It really shouldn't be about like politics. It's a public health thing. It shouldn't be about. Right, right. But and everything I, devolves into politics now. And that's sort of the problem with it. 
and even uh, so for me, the, the fundamental root of this is just if it hasn't happened to you, it doesn't exist. That seems to be yeah. the attitude. Like I didn't die and I don't know anybody that died. So this isn't real. You're and it's like, well, but we're, you know, we can confirm that people have died. <laughs> like, it's just, it's one of those, if it doesn't affect me, I don't give a shit. It's one of those. It's a um, self it, it, We are a inherently like a selfish species of people. Sure, unless yeah. We are, unless it bothers people who we care about or us, uh, you know, specifically. That's right, just, right. Amazing. And I land, I land in that selfish circle yeah. all the time, dude. There's so many things where I look at something and I'm just like, is it can I do anything about this like significantly? And if not, I got to mow my lawn. Like my, you know what I mean? My dog's got to go take a shit. Like I got to, I got stuff to do. So, <laughs> and, and that's, again, it's just, I, I am a, that level of selfish, but maybe not that level. You like, there's, I don't think it's your fault though. I've looked, I've talked about this a million times in the podcast. I'm sure people are going to groan when I say it. There's a theory that I ruin all the time. It's called Dunbar's number. And it's essentially this idea that humans aren't, meant to know more than like 100 or 150 people at any given time like we're not meant to live in like societies of or groupings of that many more people we can't pay attention to that many people right and that's why like social media and instagram and stuff affects people in such a weird way because you know in the 50s and 60s you'd be comparing yourself to people you knew or people in your town or people you could really you know, whatever. But now you can look at Instagram if you're a baker. It's like, oh, there's a billion bakers in the world who are better than me. It creates like a, a feeling of like none of this matters for people. Or, yeah, well, okay. But also that that everything matters. Like, you know, I see people taking up the cause of like veganism and they're like, oh, here's a video of a baby cow getting slaughtered. This yeah. is what you're doing when you eat a hamburger. And I'm like, you know what, man? Like, I can't fucking fight that battle. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if I stop eating burgers, they're still going to be murdering them cows, dude. Like, I always laugh about that, too, because it was like people were like, oh, I, I'm a vegetarian. How come you're not a vegetarian? I'm like, I don't know. I had a single parent and I ate what she gave me at dinner because that's what we could afford to eat. I didn't have a choice, but to I didn't, I didn't have a thought yeah, yeah. about this, right? You grew up and ate what we had because that's what we had. And I just I, I kind of pluck that topic yeah. randomly, but yeah. uh I, you know, I mean, I, and I love animals and I, I see the cruelty and shit. It's just, but sure. it's, there's just some problems that are way beyond me, dude. Oh, like, yeah. I got a mortgage to pay. I can't fucking save the cows. Like, I just. You have to and, and participate I, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, things with like people who, I, like, I don't give a shit about recycling. I got, <laughs> I'm not even sure I'm a good person, dude. But there's so many things where I watch people like they're, they're, they're so concerned about where the milk jug goes. And it's like, I. What are you talking about? Right now, there's a corporation dumping 2,500,000 gallons of toxic shit into a pond somewhere. I don't, you think oh, my one milk jug matters? I don't necessarily. And, and if someone from the Utica Public Works Department wants to tell me I'm wrong, I'd love to know how the process works. I don't necessarily think that that's all the garbage we put out in the street is getting recycled in like a proper technique like, i know that people oh, are dude. sorting their stuff accordingly or like throwing away stuff it's, it's a big mess the whole thing i don't even understand i mean i don't know if it, when you when i take a shit <laughs> and i flush it i don't even comprehend where it goes I, no, I, I know that there are pipes in my basement i can see them but i don't know where those connect i don't understand no. my they say you're not supposed to throw out batteries i throw out batteries all the time lighters batteries you're not supposed to throw out i think what happens? Do they explode somewhere? I don't understand. 
I'm not educated enough. <laughs> no, it seems like, like I can't make decisions. And, and I, I got to credit Will Phillips with this one. He once said that you, you got to be willing to say, I don't know enough about this topic to have an opinion. No. It's and a- that's like, that's so important, dude. And I, that's, that's a Will Phillips line, but I, I stand by it wholeheartedly. There's, I don't know enough. I can't tell you how to recycle because I don't understand how plastic is even where it comes from. I, mean, I don't even understand. I don't know where it comes from, dude. I, for the longest time, just thought that when you uh, flush the toilet, it all just went into the sewer. Like, I swear to God, I thought that was it. Like, there's a pipe in the sewer. That's where it goes. It's in the sewer. Somebody <laughs> explain. I've had this this flush the shit talk with people. <laughs> I, they've explained to me what happens. And as far as I know, I think we're drinking that shit water, right? Is it coming back to us somehow? I, it's Emmer- like... <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> I th- I think it's a good microcosm of how all the systems in our world that we rely on all like exist to live on like a thread, right? They could all be gone in a second, right? Like all of the stuff we think is like, bam, bam, just works. You know, the plumbing system works, airplanes, they all work. They're all like, they all work by, by this much, just barely. I can't, I can't comprehend how my home has electricity right now, dude. <laughs> I see lines outside. <laughs> but I don't know where they go. I don't know where they plug in. I don't understand voltage. Sometimes I'll plug the vacuum cleaner in and the whole fucking house will shut down. Yo. <laughs> and I don't understand it. For for folks out there, we're, I'm still on in my house in the apartment that I rent. We have the fuses, not the click on and off fuses, the fuses that you actually have to unscrew and replace with a different fuse like it's 1933. And you live in a castle? What I live in a castle. <laughs> Where are you? I know. It feels <laughs> it feels out of time. It feels like I live in a different era when I go into the basement. Um, Phil, before I get into lightning round questions with you, uh, why don't you hit me up with any upcoming shows if you have your lineups coming up so people can For see. For sure, man. So first of all, like trivia right now is our main focus. We're having a lot of fun doing that. You could play uh, throughout the week. The schedule is on our Facebook page which is the easiest way to get the most current schedule. Cause we have nights that kind of pop up and yeah. disappear here and there. So uh, go to, it's a, just Facebook page. It's stage time trivia. The cover photo has the full schedule. It'll be current up to date all the time. Uh, but we're in, we're in seven different locations right now. Uh, our next comedy event is coming up on July 31st. So it's uh, not that far away. A couple of weeks. Yeah. We're going to be at the Rome Capitol theater. Our headliners, Moody McCarthy. Uh, our opener there is uh, Travis Blunt coming in from Syracuse. He's been on, uh, a number of Kevin Hart programs, Comedy Central. He's doing really well. And then uh, one of our trivia hosts, Josh Wilbert, is a local comedian. He does a lot with the Uptown Theater. He hosts our trivia night on Monday at Pizza Boys. He's going to be making his debut there at the theater, uh, hosting for that, hope, opening that show. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Tickets are $20. You can find them uh, right through our event link on Facebook. And uh, Will and I will be at the Buried Acorn August 6th. So that is a, it's a show being produced by my buddy, Mike Peters. It's not one of my shows, but he asked us to be on it. We're looking, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and that's, that's it. Two shows. <laughs> I love it. I dig it. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to promote everything on, on Twitter feed as well. Uh, all right. Lightning round questions. I got a whole bunch of lightning round questions for you. Cause it's been a oh. while since you've been on, but yeah. I, I have one question for you. That's not a lightning round question. I was thinking about it today. Cause um I was talking about stand-up comedy with somebody and they were giving me the whole like, oh, you can't be a stand-up comedian because of the cancel culture and all that kind of thing. 
And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if that's necessarily true because I look at like Dave Chappelle and I feel like he's the, about as high as the highest you can get in terms of level of like relevancy as a stand-up comedian. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, top of the game. And people get mad for like a minute when he puts out his stand-up specials, but then for the most part, no one seems to care and everyone likes them. And sure, I feel like yeah. the whole thing that like you can't tell jokes is kind of overblown in, in our current society. I think it's, I think it's dr dramatically exaggerated. Yeah. I agree with you. I also think that people don't care as much as uh, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's promoted as they care. You know what yeah. I mean? Like nobody really gives a shit, but there's, it's, you, you can look at the comment section on the OD page yeah. and it, it seems like it's a, there's a lot of fire, but it's like, nobody really gives a shit, man. It feels people, they, they speak out for one moment of yeah. attention and then they're over it. Um, also, I mean, in general, I, I see both sides of it, like, yeah, but you, there, you have to have some accountability for what you say. You know, I look back at some of the material and the jokes and shit that I used to say. And then the, uh, I'm not even sure if it's like that, that, that we're becoming more sensitive. I think we're just becoming more aware yeah. and maybe even a little more empathetic towards other things. You know, like if somebody tells you that they feel a certain way, you sort of just have to take their word for it you know I, I've always thought about this and this is like a thing I used to I heard about relationships when I was a kid it's like you don't get to dictate how other people feel about things that go on right so if you say to your girlfriend or your wife like I'm not going to this event with you tonight I don't really want to go meet your parents and hang out it's not like you might seem fine with it but you hurt their feelings right like what you you can say what you want but like you can't control how that affects the other person. Like you can't right, right. like, no, you can't be mad about that. Sure they can. That's how, that's how they're going to react to it. Right. You can't dictate the other person's response, even if you think they would respond in a certain way. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that people could do whatever they want. That's, that's yeah. a big foundation of how, of my beliefs is that you <laughs> could do whatever they want, whether it's how, no matter how extreme or dramatic it is. But like, if somebody tells you how they feel, you kind of just have to take them at their word. Yeah. Uh, in the same sense, if somebody is offended by something, you can just not give a shit. You know, you, you basically, you have to respond to whatever is given to you. So yeah. I ran I ran into uh, a situation at Trivia one night at, at the Nail Creek. It's it's a very busy night. Uh, I tend to have a few drinks and, and it, I turn it into a comedy show for the most part. And I upset one table of people toward the end of the game. I remarked, um, some. It, it was a remark about how like, how hot this chick was, right? Yeah. It, it was done in a sort of a complimentary way, but they, the table didn't like it. And it, throughout the whole night though, I, but I, and so I, I had a, I felt really bad dude. Cause I want everyone to have a nice time. And I had to really consider, you know, this guy was, he, he was explaining uh, how they were upset to me in a way that I, I was listening to. And yeah. it's like, you got to kind of, it bothered me, Dan. I have, I have like general anxiety. And so it bothered me. I like, I don't want people to not to have a terrible time. At, at, at our events but uh the more i thought about it, it was just like dude throughout the whole night i was kind of picking on everybody and you, you got the context of the night you got the vibe of the night you understand where you are so when i get to your table and start taking shots at your at your table it's like so you got to understand the context where it's all you know what i mean like it's yeah yeah that if makes you, a lot of sense if you decide to feel offended i don't i'm not disputing that you're upset about what was said but you gotta have the where you gotta like have the wherewithal to understand like the context of the night, yeah. And my attitude, I'm not trying to be offensive, so it's it's, I don't know, man. It's a shared responsibility. Like you gotta fucking uh, grow up and take it, like an adult. But also, 
Ricky Gervais had a really interesting quote. He was on the Talking Sopranos podcast of all places. He had a really interesting take about this. And he was essentially like, he's like, you know, I try not to punch down at people, but like I tell whatever angle of the joke gets the most laughs. I also can't dictate what will be funny in 10 years. So I'm not going to worry about writing a joke. And if it will still be funny 10 years from now, I want it to be sure. funny today. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have I have a one very particular joke I used to do when I started performing that I could absolutely never do now, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and even back then, I, if I really think about it back then, it used to get a laugh like 50% of the time, you know, and it was just, it was so, uh, edgy, uh, you know, I'll say that in quotes, but it was, edgy. it was like, if your joke's getting a laugh 50% of the time, it's probably not that great. Right. Yeah. Like if, if you look at the numbers, so, uh, and, but I was younger and I was starting out and it just, it seemed, I think a lot of comics try to do that. You, you try to say the most outrageous thing and, uh, that's not necessarily the goal of comedy, yeah. right? The goal is just for people to enjoy themselves and laugh and have a good time. And um, I, once you get to a higher level, you can start like what you, you know, you brought up Dave Chappelle, you, then you can start addressing like he does social issues and major, you then you can sort of have an opinion when you have the audience and the, and the yeah. clout and, and the history. Yeah. But you know, if you're just like a local guy at an open mic, you can't start spouting off like, <laughs> these heavy opinions and yeah. you know that they're going to split a crowd people just are coming there to laugh uh bill before i let you go i have some lightning round questions for you sure. you want to have uh, some quick lightning round questions before I'm i ready, dude. all right I'm awesome just... uh bill what is your dream category on jeopardy what category do you feel like would show up on jeopardy and you'd be so excited uh identify these celebrity tits like if it was one of those picture <laughs> rounds where they put they put the pictures up like uh, just movies where celebrities have been nude. I think I could crush that round. <laughs> All right. Uh, who is your favorite fictional villain? Fictional villain. Oh, shit, dude. That's a great question. My fa uh, I'm just going to come right off uh, with the first one that comes to mind. I love uh, it. Which is, I can't. Uh, oh, could, you know what? Could it be? Can we come back to this? Can we circle back to that? Because I don't yeah. have an answer. I'll come back to that. All right. Uh, what is your all-time favorite fast food item? Uh, taco Bell used to have a double-decker taco, which yeah. doesn't exist anymore. But now they've got something called the uh, Cheesy Gordita Crunch, yeah. which is very similar. It's like a taco with a, uh, another taco over it. Oh, I'm familiar Somebody, with that. Somebody, yeah, they put a taco inside of a taco. Fucking <laughs> brilliant, dude. The most brilliant fast food item. Yeah, that's for, that's it for sure. Uh Let's say this is the 1990s and you're still flipping through channels on your TV because uh, that was a thing people did. Uh, what movie, if you were flipping channels, would you always stop to watch no matter what uh, where time it was? It, uh, the Shawshank Redemption. That's a classic. For era. some reason, it, it was always on. Always. And I, I was a kid. I missed a lot of the subtleties where, where they raped Andy. I didn't, I didn't remember, I exactly. totally missed that part as a kid. And then I later on, I saw it as an adult. And I was like, oh, they, oh, they raped him. He got <laughs> raped. I missed that part. Well, you know what's weird about Shawshank is Shawshank is from a certain time and place when TBS, TNT, where they'd be like three nights of the Shawshank Redemption, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're going to play it back. You're like, why? <laughs> why? Right, yeah. <laughs> Just watch it three days in a row. Because I think that the only reason that's my answer is because it was the only movie I ever remember being on television. Jaws and Shawshank Redemption, I feel like we're on TNT and TBS constantly. Do you remember uh, USA Up All Night? 
vaguely. It was on after Monday Night Raw. So that's why I remember it. I, they had like they just had like bare tits on cable TV. It was it was a different time. You could get away with stuff late at night back then that I think right. people weren't paying attention to. It was just like after 11 p.m. There was no censorship. Everything shut down. You just do whatever you want. Yeah, Wild we, West. We just watch E late at night because you couldn't get the scramble channels. You just watch Howard Stern and like <laughs> Wild on the Cancun beach or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. Uh, Phil, what's the most embarrassing uh, trend or fashion phase that you remember from your youth? Uh, the... We, they had these gigantic jeans yeah that were they were so big they were like square in shape <laughs> and they looked like one pant leg yeah <laughs> uh, that was i didn't and i bought them i got a pair because it, that's what people were wearing they're coming i just back. wanted to yeah they're coming back but now like yeah they're coming back also i'm not my opinion on and that shit has changed like people crocs get a lot of shit but i am all pro oh. crocs dude I love a good pair of Crocs. That's because you're older than 30. Like once you hit the age of 30 as a man, I know everybody I know either listens to the Grateful Dead now or bought Crocs. Those are the one, the two things. I, I think as we get older, we just value comfort over style. Like that's why the, so I the, I think those Nike New Balance that all the dads wear are ridiculous. I bet when I hit 50, I'm going to be rocking a pair of those. Oh my God. I bet they're comfortable as hell. I'm still hanging on with skateboarding sneakers because I'm stubborn, but I don't know how much longer that's going to be a thing. You're gonna. You got to switch to a pipe soon, dude. Look at you. You you're got. You're ready for a pipe and uh, an ascot. If you go a pipe ascot, you're gonna get. I went full tie dye and I bought this Adirondack hat when I was up north. So I'm a full Adirondack hippie now. That's my new vibe. Oh, that's a good dad. Yeah, that's a good look. Yeah. People uh -huh. will. Women will think you own a camp. They will think I own a camp. That's what you uh, need. Uh, do you want to circle back to your fictional villain question? I do. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of, I had to process it, but uh, my favorite villain of all time, I think, is the the evil Betty. This is obscure, but uh, you ever seen the movie Kung Pao? Uh, the It's the Kung Fu a a comedy movie, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the evil Betty uh, <laughs> from Kung Pao was like the, the villain in that film. <laughs> it was just absolutely absurd. That, movie, that whole movie was crazy, dude. That movie is like an advertisement for weed. It's so weird. Like there are certain movies that I know people like ride really hard for that aren't considered like classic films. Like me and Justin talk about this all the time. I really ride for the movie Almost Heroes, which is not a good movie. That was Matthew never Perry. seen it. Matthew Perry and Farley are like uh, Lewis and Clark going across the country. It's terrible, but it's amazing. And I ride for it. I know it's not good. <laughs> well, it yeah, you love it is Justin's movie. Justin rides for Kung Pao hard. He thinks it's amazing. Oh yeah, I love Kung Pao, sure. It's, I get it, because it's it's just funny to a very specific sense of humor. Yeah. Because yeah. it's either like, oh, this movie is the dumbest, biggest pile of shit I've ever seen, or you kind of get the total over-the-top absurd humor. Where do you fall on the movie Cabin Boy starring Chris Elliott? Uh, I, I'm familiar with it, but I don't, I can't, I can't recall. I, for some reason, I have a, I don't watch a movie more than once, dude. If I see a movie, a... I'm like, I've seen it. Really? To me, if you watch a movie more than once, you're wasting two hours. Like, you've oh. already seen it. What are you doing? I wasted uh, two hours this morning watching Godfather again. Right. And then <laughs> <laughs> I say that, but like, I've watched the same porno 35 times. It just depends what you're into, I guess. Uh, like, I, I enjoy my favorite movie of all time is Dumb and Dumber. I, I just, I can't, yeah, I can't beat it. I would watch that movie any day. Uh, I've seen it plenty of times. All right, I'm going to give you a scenario here. You 
are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. You are walking down the ramp toward the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. They're screaming your name. You hold the belt up over your head. What song is playing in the background? <laughs> just it's, it's just a, it's not a song. It's just a, it's just a track of my dogs barking incessantly. <laughs> just unbelievable, ear piercing, the kind of bark that makes you scream shut up for no reason. It's just a nightmarish sound how, how appropriate and and last but not least phil give me one book album movie or television show you are currently reading listening to or watching dude we so we just fit we started a manifest on netflix yeah and that was uh an interesting show uh there's a new season out on hulu now so you can i think they're done i think it's three seasons and it's done. i think that's, i saw and people then, talking about it on twitter this week yeah, it was, it was, they get you with the number one, the top 10. So you look at that and you're like, oh, everybody's watching this top 10. Uh, we're about to fire up. They got a Resident Evil series. It's really? four episodes, half an hour each. So if you could, you could fire it all off, it's two hours, huh. all animated like CGI. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. And then we started watching Zoo, which is terrible. <laughs> it's, it was, it started out interesting. That's the got, CBS one, right? Huh? That's the CBS show about the animals, like, like escape. The animals uh, gain like awareness and start yeah. to work together to take out the humans. Great concept, got Jurassic Park vibes. It was yeah. interesting. And then in second, in the second season, it's just crazy. Now there's like ants that do magic, and there's like they're getting like fucking the, the fish can fly airplanes now. It's so stupid now. It's getting dumb. Uh, Phil, it's always a pleasure to uh, to chat you up and have you on. I will try not to go a full two years between the next two times we, we have. I just, I want to just come out and hang out with you guys in person, you know, like just and as, you're always as pals. Welcome. You're always yeah. welcome to come by. You know that. Uh, the problem Thanks, is man. I'm never around and I'm an introvert, so I never call anybody. I don't leave the house, dude. We bought a home in 2017 and I think I've left it six times just because uh, I had to. It's like once it was on fire, we had to leave. Folks, you can follow Stage Time Trivia, uh, Comedy CNY on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those kind of things. Or you can follow Phil himself at Laugh Barta on most of these platforms as well. Phil, it's always a great time chatting you up, man. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for what you're doing for the city of Utica, man. Ah, stop. time uh talking to him all right let's do uh let's do history lessons uh this week's history lessons i do the same thing we did last week i got three sort of short ones and then i picked a different year for us to try out in our uh mm. years go back game mm -hmm. uh but let's do our let's do our quick history lessons first uh on this day 1799 and i have to add a very strong allegedly because there is no <laughs> this is one of those allegedly this happened on this day but we might have just given a date to something that we're not sure when it actually happened. Mm. Uh, on this date, uh, 1799, the Rosetta Stone was discovered. During Napoleon Bonaparte's Egyptian campaign, a French soldier discovered a black basalt slab inscribed with ancient writing near the town of Rosetta, about 35 miles east of Alexandria. 
the irregular shaped stone contained fragments of passages written in three different scripts, Greek, Egyptian hieroglyphics, and Egyptian demotic. Uh, more startlingly, the three scripts were all of identical meaning. Uh, the artifact held the key to solving the riddle of hieroglyphics, a language that had been quote-unquote dead for nearly 2,000 years. Uh, when Napoleon invaded Egypt in 1798, he took along a group of scholars and told them to seize all important cultural artifacts for France. Mm. One of Napoleon's soldiers was aware of this order when he found the basalt stone, which was almost four feet long and two and a half feet wide at a fort near Rosetta. When the, Britons, uh, when the British defeated Napoleon in 1801, they took possession of the Rosetta Stone, as is tradition for the Brits. Just take possession of stuff when they find it. Uh, several scholars made progress with the initial hieroglyphic analysis, but French Egyptologist, pardon me, Jean-Francois Champouin, I think I said that right, ultimately cracked the code and deciphered the hieroglyphics using his knowledge of Greek as a guide. Once the Rosetta Stone inscriptions were translated, the language and culture of ancient Egypt was suddenly open to scientists as never before. Today, the Rosetta Stone is housed in the British Museum in London, despite repeated calls for it to be returned to Egypt. Uh, said it before, I think anything that's from Egypt should be returned back to Egypt, because that's how the curses start. Mm. Once you take the stone away, the curses is unlocked. So you don't go poking around in, in crypts, no in pyramids and stuff like that. Stay away. Don't take any of the stuff that you find there. It's, Leave it. Leave it alone. I've read enough stories. Uh, yeah, Rosetta Stone on this day, I think, seven, mm. allegedly, 1799. On this day, 1988, uh, Guns N' Roses goes mainstream. Uh, Guns N' Roses played a style that was owed to the pure hard rock of the 1970s more than the showy heavy metal of the 1980s. Signed in 1986, Guns N' Roses released their first full-length album, Appetite for Destruction, the following summer. The debut single, Welcome to the Jungle, was their lead song, which I think is probably still the best Guns N' Roses song. Mm. Welcome to the Jungle? Mm. I, I don't really like... I don't really like Guns N' Roses, so uh, just a, a note there. Appetite for Destruction would eventually be certified 15 times platinum. Welcome to the Jungle would become a massively popular top 10 hit. But neither the album nor its first single was an immediate success. It took nearly a year of touring and the release of the second single, Sweet Child of Mine, on this day, 1988, uh, to earn Guns N' Roses a place in musical history. Sweet Child of Mine is built around an opening riff that Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash considered a throwaway, uh, and it went on to become a true rock classic, voted on Greatest List by Rolling Stone, Blender, B BBC, and uh, the RIAA. Uh, Sweet Child of Mine made stars out of Guns N' Roses and made so-called power ballads uh, seem weak by comparison. Such mm. as, yeah, I actually don't, again, I don't really care for Appetite for Destruction or Guns N' Roses now, mm. but I definitely owned this album and listened to it when I was a kid. Like, when mm. I was younger, it was around. My sister liked it. Uh, but that's really it. I could I could never hear Sweet Child of Mine again, and that'd be totally fine. Uh, yeah, that's one of those songs. It's just been kind of beaten in the ground. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Sure. It's just just been beaten in the ground. Like it's a it's a good song. It's really well done. I get why it got them where it got them. But as with a lot of songs like that, I'm not like in a rush to to press play on it. I feel like Guns N' Roses kind of has <clears throat> a shallow pool of hits. They had like what four albums. I don't know. I, I feel like there's not as many Guns N' Roses hits as you think there would be. I think there's probably more than you think there are. You think there's more? Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay. On this day, 1992, the opening ceremonies of the 25th Olympic Games are held in Barcelona, Spain. This is the first event in which professional athletes were allowed to participate and the first since 1972 
in which every member of the International Olympic Committee competed in all 169 countries field the teams the most in the history of the Olympics. Coming just one year after the breakup of the Soviet Union, 12 Soviet states fielded a united team, while others such as Estonia and Lithuania fielded their own teams for the first time since 1936. Bosnia, Croatia, and Slovenia participated under their own flags for the very first time. Just a quick highlight of some things that happened in 1992, the Olympics. The Dream Team schooled their competition, beating their opponents by an average of 44 points, winning the gold medal easily, USA. Uh, Daratu Tulu of Ethiopia became the first black African woman to ever win an Olympic medal. Afterwards, she shared a victory lap with South African competitor Elena Meyer in recognition and celebration of South Africa's recent abolishment of apartheid and any symbolic gesture of African <clears throat> unity. Uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey won her second consecutive heptathlon. Heptathlon? Was it? You know what that is? Heptathlon? Was it eight events? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Carl Lewis won his third consecutive gold in the long jump, and the host country, Spain, won a gold medal in soccer. So there you go. I feel like 92 for us was probably dominated by the Dream Team. Yeah. Yeah, just like the, the coolest mm-hmm. thing in the world at the Easily. time. Yeah, yeah. Marketing again, you know what I mean? Marketing, it's true. Yeah, all the cups, all the all the jerseys, all the all that stuff. All right. So uh, last week we did the year two thousand and one. This year for our time warp, we are going all the way back five years before that to nineteen ninety six. Uh, on this day, nineteen ninety six, you could have jumped in your car and driven to the movie theater to see the number one film. I was a child. Yes, I was, <laughs> I was a child. Go through your parents' car in a van. They would not have liked that. They, would not have liked they that. also did not have a van. Uh, to see the number one film in America, Independence Day. Mm, I did see that in the theaters, I actually. The theater. I jumped on my bike and went to the uptown. My sister's boyfriend at the time took me because mm. she didn't want to take me to see it. Yeah, me and a kid in my neighborhood rode our bikes up and saw the movie at 9 <coughs> Saw the movie at 9 o'clock. We felt like we were like 30. So hyped. Being out and riding my bike at 9 o'clock to the movie theater, it was cool. You can say what you will about this movie being good or bad. I remember being absolutely pumped out of my mind when I got out of the theater. Well, plus, so also, hyped. also, it's great. <laughs> it's a great film. And, like, it's pretty unimpeachable. Uh, the film, directed by Rowan Emmerich, stars an ensemble cast that includes Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Mary McDonald, Judd Hirsch, uh, Randy Quaid, Robert Loja, James Rebhorn, and Harvey Firestein. Focuses on a disparate group of people who convey, who converge in the Nevada desert in the aftermath of a worldwide attack by extraterrestrial race, uh, an attempt to launch an all-out counterattack on the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Um, now considered a significant turning point in the history of Hollywood blockbusters, Independence Day was at the forefront of large-scale disaster films and sci-fi resurgence of the mid to late 1990s. It received mixed to positive reviews from critics at the time who criticized the characters but praised the performances and visuals. Grossed over $817 million worldwide, becoming the second highest grossing film of... Oh, sorry, the highest grossing film of 1996. It passed Twister and Mission Impossible. I would argue I'd rather watch this movie today than either of those two movies again. Easily. And those days, too. Every day. That Twister was good. I like Yeah, Twister. but it's not Independence Day. No, no, is, that's I don't right. Speak yeah. as, again, I don't speak as an indictment of Twister, but I'm saying, like, just head-to-head, Independence Day or Twister, it's not even... You don't think people, no one out there making that Twister argument? There's fools everywhere. The <laughs> world is full. Also became the second highest grossing film ever at the time behind 1993's Jurassic Park. Suck it, aliens, dinosaurs remain cooler. Uh, the film won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects and was nominated for Academy Award for Best Sound. The sequel, which I did not see, Independence Day Resurgence, was Damn, released. I did not see that. <laughs> it was released 20 years later. You don't later. have Will Smith. What are we doing? What if you can't doing? get the guy, 
Don't, don't do it. Uh, this is a great segue. I'm glad you mentioned that. So I put out a, a, a take on Twitter this week. Uh. Uh, and I got a little bit of flack back for it. And it was... We were watching Fresh Prince at the house. And I just wrote, Was Fresh Prince Will Smith's apex? Independence Day question mark. Mm. Uh, so just let me share a couple responses I got with you from people here, okay? This is from K-Rock Josh. You've lost your mind. Wild Wild West. I am legend. Ali. Men in Black. Independence Day was just the beginning. I'll give you Men in Black for sure. I'll even give you Ali because I think that movie got a lot of prestige. I Am Legend is not a good movie. It's it's like good for the first half. Mm. And it's not good in the second half. The minute mm. the vampire creatures show up, that movie takes a dive. Mm. And Wild Wild West is not an argument for anything. No. I, I Don't hit me with that argument. argument. I think it's people misunderstanding. Not like A lot of people aren't familiar with like the, the apex term as yeah. it relates to... Not everybody listens to the big picture, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think so. Maybe they, maybe they must misunderstand what it means. Because you make an argument that Will Smith was bigger and more powerful at different times than in Fresh Prince or Independence Day. But, That's a great point. You know. uh, GFOP Ben Burnell as well also responded here, but he's got stats. So Ben's got some stats for us. Uh. He says that 2005 to 2007 seems to be the high mark. Hitch makes $371 million at the box office. Pursuit of Happiness gets him an Oscar nomination. I Am Legend makes $585 million. Hancock makes $629 million. And his eighth consecutive movie he makes to go over $100 million. So, right, so okay, no. So how much, how, much money, how much money do Transformers make? Is that better than other movies that were way better in those years? That, <laughs> wow. I, under, I understand the stats. I mean, yeah. That's why I'm saying if, you don't, if you're not like familiar yeah. with a certain podcast where they use the term like you know, Apex Mountain for yeah. somebody or whatever, the stats argument, certainly he made more money or was more in those things. But as far as it goes to his relevance to the culture yeah. and his peak of cultural relevancy, it's tough to make an argument outside of that like... 95 to 97 range right there. Like, yeah. that's what enables it all. I would argue that Bad Boys 95, Independence Day 96, Men in Black 97 Coming is off the end of Fresh Prince, Fresh Prince which that's... is really, you can't beat Fresh Prince because there's like hundreds of episodes. Hundreds. You know, there's no two-hour, three-hour movie, couple movies with sequels that you're going to put out that can compare to, you know, ten seasons worth of ensemble comedy with great actors. A lot of this stuff falls off hard after he's, this. Yeah. Like Wild Wild West, Bagger Man. This is the this is the beat on him. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, don't try and hit me with Pursuit of Happiness. I'm sure it was fine. Seven pounds. Pursuit of Happiness is great. Uh, Seven pounds is a little bit better than it gets credit for, but not much better. I guess Aladdin and Gemini Man, both Mm. classic films. (laughs) We came out this year. No, I, I like a lot of the movies that Will Smith made during that time. I like a lot of the movies you mentioned, but um, no, you no. Mm-mm. All right, Sam, good stuff. All right, let's move on to the next one. So on your way to see Independence Day in the theater, you can turn on the radio and hear the number one song in America, How Do You Want It, by Tupac, featuring Casey and JoJo. Kev, mm-hmm. you'll have to help me out because I do not remember this song at all. Mm. I probably do, but I... You might know it if you, might know it if you heard it. Uh, you probably know, you would know the hook, I think. The hook, yeah. The hook and the beat a little bit, yeah. Uh, released on June 4th, 1996, it was the third single from the album, All Eyes on Me. Which I definitely had on double cassette tape <laughs> yes! at the time. Yeah, yeah, I was rocking double cassette tape in my boombox, even though I had a three-disc changer, because I had to go underground to get the Tupac album, yeah. because my mom was not buying me All Eyes on Me on CD. <laughs> so I had to go underground and get a used tape at, like, whatever they used to have up in the, where Price Chopper is now. Yeah, okay. Like, Last Unicorn, last unicorn or something like that, yeah. yeah. 
this was the final single to be released during Tupac's lifetime and featured R&B duo Casey and JoJo, who at the time were best known as the lead singers of the band Jodeci. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the Casey and JoJo hit? All My Life. All My Life! Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. A purpose like you. Yeah, that was yeah. a pretty ubiquitous one, I feel like. Oh, pretty big um, time. Like, because we were of the age where we were going, like, dances. Dances. Time, like, yeah. Like, dances. Yeah, yeah. Uh, song reached number one on the U.S. Billboard uh, Hot 100 and number 17 in the U.K. in 1996. 97, the song was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group. Uh, it samples Quincy Jones' 1974 song, Body Heat. Uh, it also includes a diss against civil rights trailblazer C. Dolores Tucker. Uh, music video was created for How Do You Want It and its B-side, Two of America's Most Wanted, and Hit Em Up. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Two as... classics in the Tupac catalog. <laughs> Two of America's Most Wanted and Hit Em Up, of course. <laughs> uh, just for some context, because I don't know this song probably as well as you do. So these are some of the other songs that were on the Billboard Hot 100. around. This is what Tupac beat out this week, okay? Okay. You're Making Me High. Let It Flow by mm. Tony Braxton. Throw away Tony Braxton track. Yeah. The Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Absolute classic uh, pop hip hop song. This Absolute had been classic. This, this had been number one in the charts for 10 weeks. Bone Thugs and this. Harmony invented all these little kids doing triplets over <laughs> trap beats. Uh, Give Me One Reason by Tracy, Tra- uh, Tracy Chapman. The follow up oh, of yeah. Fast Car. It's mm-hmm. mm. a good song. Uh, Macarena, which has been on the chart for 30 weeks at yeah. this point in time. Gotta be that Bayside Boys mix, though. The Bayside Boys mix, yes, that's correct. Uh, because You Love Me, the movie Up Close and Personal by Celine Dion, was on for 19 weeks. Probably, I'm sure I would know that if I heard it. 15 weeks of Always Be My Baby at number love, 7. Love, 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 love that song. Uh, Twisted by Keith Sweat. Also a great song. <laughs> Keith Sweat tries to do a rap verse. I think it's like the third verse for After the Bridge. He comes in, he's like, yeah, I'm Keith Sweat. I'm going to hip-hop on the track a little bit. And it worked back then. That was something I had on cassette tape single. Yeah, uh, but Keith Sweat never really hung around. It was tough leaving the eighties uh, for guys like Keith Sweat. This was actually rising on the charts. It's from eight from thirteen. It was not. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the highest riser of the week. I think that was. Uh, it looks like Celine Dion here, maybe. Yeah, I think this was really like the first summer where I was venturing into music on my own. Yeah, I, think I was like going into sixth grade, probably. Ooh, Quad City DJs number nine. Come on, ride the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at number 11, Ironic, Alanis Morissette, which had been on for uh, 18 weeks at mm-hmm. this point in time. Colossal. I'm noticing a real, as I'm scrolling down the list here, I'm noticing a real lack of rock songs on the Hot 100 here. Yeah. No, like, the closest thing I'm seeing here is Gin Blossoms at 27 mm-hmm. for the song Follow You Down. That's, which has been on the, that's a great song. That's the, probably my favorite Gin Blossom song. It's probably the best. It's, yeah. Uh, that had been in the charts for 23 weeks at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Also, Counting Blue Cars by Dishwalla, which is a song that people kept trying to make me listen to, mm. but I don't understand why it was a thing. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm with it. All right, that's it. Uh, and then, after you finish watching Independence Day, drove back home, you can go to bed while reading from the number one book in America. It is Cause of Death by Patricia Cornwell. Have you any thoughts about Patricia Cornwell? None. Just another, like, name you see on paperbacks. Mass market paperbacks. <laughs> Cause of Death, much like last week's uh, Danielle Steele book, there's really not much information about this book no, out here. Just garbage. That's the, <laughs> because the, the bestseller list has been, like, bought and paid for junk for since we were before we were born. Uh, here's what I could find out, though. Cause of Death is the seventh book. It's a crime fiction series. It's the seventh book in the Dr. K. Scarpetta series. I bet she runs into a handsome, mysterious gentleman. Well, the Scarpetta novels focus on forensic science, health, individual safety and security, food, 
family and the emerging self sexual self discovery of Scarpetta's yeah, there it niece. Is. There it is. So there what? you go. Of her niece, yeah. Wow. Uh, here's a, just a recap of the plot for you folks. Uh, New, Year's Eve, out. Uh, New Year's Eve and the final murder scene of Virginia's what? bloodiest year takes Scarpetta 30 feet below the Elizabeth River's icy surface. What? Dr. Scarpetta receives a phone call reporting the death of investigative reporter Ted Eddings, who was found dead in diving gear among the Navy's reserve fleet. This is all over the place. Uh, was Eddings probing the frigid depths of the inactive shipyard for a story? Or simply diving for sunken trinkets? And why did Scarpetta receive the phone call reporting the death before the police were notified? The case leads Scarpetta, her emerging sexual self-discovery niece Lucy, and police captain Pete Marino into a terrorist plot that threatens thousands of lives. There's a lot going on here. This is for the sake of history. History lessons. Well, this is what this was going on. Teaching history. This is this what is, was going on was on this day. I was there. This was not going this on. This was not going on. Oh. Uh, so this was the number one book in America, Cause of Death by Patty Cornwall. Cornwell. So there you go. If you guys know anything about that book, let me know. Uh, <laughs> if you know anything about that book, do not reach out to me. <laughs> do, do not call me for any reason about it. Uh, all right. We, I had a whole animal section, but we're already running longer than I thought, so let's just do the two snake stories. Ready for mm. snake stories? Yeah. Uh, this is like a nightmare fuel for some of you folks out there. 65-year-old man, uh, this is from The Independent this week, by the way, in the UK, got a rude awakening after a reticulated python bit him as he was sitting on the toilet at his home. You gotta be careful. <laughs> this is like something people tell you doesn't really happen, but apparently mm. it does. The man, who has not been named, paid a visit to the bathroom at around 6 a.m. and felt a, quote, pinch in the area of his genitals. Sometime after he sat down on the toilet, he turned around to see a five-foot albino snake in the toilet bowl. The reticulated python, a constrictor native to Asia, which can grow to a length of nearly 30 feet, is believed to have found its way into the toilet via the network of drains in the apartment block in the Australian, I'm sorry, Austrian city of Graz. So there you go. Yeah, so uh, just be careful next time you're in the bathroom. Could be snakes. Yeah, watch for snakes. Uh, coming up through the pipes. And if you live in New York, there are three snakes that you are supposed to be careful of, especially this summer, as the weather is getting hotter. Mm. Do you know there are 17 species of snakes found in New York, Kevin? Mm-hmm. And three of them are venomous. The timber rattlesnake, mm -hmm. the copperhead, and the eastern massasagua. Mm. Which is apparently the one that we're supposed to be careful of, because that is found in the wetlands northeast of Syracuse and west of Rochester. Mm. Yeah, it's all up in our business. All up in our business. Uh, so, I found an interesting take on this. I never knew this, but I thought I'd share it with you. So, you know how you determine if a snake is poisonous or not? Or venomous or not? Uh, the shape of its head. The shape of its head, that is mm -hmm. correct. Venomous snakes... Can you see books? Zubooks, that's right. Venomous snakes that can bite you have a large head and a narrow neck, whereas non-venomous snakes have a head that is similar in size... To their necks. So keep that in mind when you're out walking the trails. When you're out rolling the dice with wild snakes. Yeah, and if for some reason you are bitten, uh, it is said to go to the hospital immediately. Do not try to cut the bite open or use a tourniquet. Uh, they say that these attempts can lead to secondary infections. Mm -hmm. Snake bites are rarely fatal among healthy adults, according to the SUNY College of Environmental Sciences and Forestry. Uh, with non-venomous snakes, he said you can just wash the wound out and you should be fine. So if like a if like a rat snake bites you or something, you can just you'll mm -hmm. be, be all right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of snakes, but I feel like uh, I'm specifically 
scared of rattlesnakes. Mm, smart. I don't know what it is about like the. I'd be terrified if you hearing this the the rattle. At least you hear them. If you don't know where they are when you hear it first, maybe. Like, There's it. Other snake. You don't hear the other snakes. You don't hear them, so you feel yeah. the bite. That's true. You feel the bite. If that toilet snake was a rattlesnake, oh, you never would have sat down. Be tough. Uh, and I think that's probably it. We'll do, uh, let's do one sort of mailbag question here and we will do Spotify and call it a day. All right. Hit me. This is based on a story that came out earlier this week about how the U.S. military is testing a pill that could delay the effects of aging and halt the naturally degenerative, degenerative effects of aging. Mm. Uh, I always go, I call this the post-mortal question. It was like a book I read and the story yeah. was like, you could take a pill that would stop natural aging. You still die. You could still, like, get hit by a car or get, you know, shot in the face or whatever. Mm. But you were never going to die from natural causes. Right. I've had this question before. Kevin, if you had the option, would you take the anti-aging pill? Yeah. You think you would? Yeah. Yeah. That's different than the book, <coughs> The Immortal, where it makes you, like, immortal. If this is something that slows down yeah. aging and degenerative conditions, uh, yeah. I hurry up. Yeah, get it out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I would rather take it, certainly, I mean, the best time to take it would have been, like, 10, 15 years ago, so you can we stop aging. While, yeah. well, like, in your early 20s, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, that question is probably different for somebody in their 60s, and I feel like slowing down aging is a pretty broad term, but, like, yeah, generally, if we there's like something that could help fight against degenerative entropic properties of, like, the body and aging and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I probably would. I don't. I'm, I'm vain enough to be like, this is about as good looking as I'll ever get. It's so not even. Gonna... I mean, it, you don't even have to frame it as like a thing about vanity. It's like you know, you don't want your uh, like if you if your back gives you problems sometimes, yeah. or if you got like Constantly. a bum knee, or you know, your eyesight or your hearing getting yeah. worse as you get older. Like, just shut it down. You know what I mean? I mean that kind of stuff. Uh, all right, that's it. Uh, before we head out, I'll do some Spotify uh, highlights for you this week. Uh, my two highlights. Number one. Uh, the song Hunchback by Kurt Vile, just because I was thinking about my buddy Dano, who mm. loves Kurt Vile, got me thinking about this track. Shout out to Dano and Kurt Vile. Always. Very cool. And the other one is Eggman by Beastie Boys, after I watched another one of those documentaries about the Beastie Boys that mm. we were watching. I kept thinking about that song afterwards. Uh, mm. So a little Eggman by the Beastie Boys from Paul's Boutique. There you go. Uh, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna talk about two songs that we played a bunch over the course of the last week that mm-hmm. always go over really, mm-hmm. really big at places that we play. Um, Comfortably numb. I put the live version from Pulse on there because I'm no fool. Classic. Um, man, for for what it actually, if you have the personnel to pull that song off, a little bit of backing vocals, you need an organ for a lot of that heavy like organ and synthy sounds. Yeah, yeah. But like the song itself is super basic and super easy to play. The investment to reward on it is insane. Yeah. People go nuts when they because you can hear that first note. Like there's no way I'm gonna catch an eight and a half minute version of Comfortably Numb. And it's like you're goddamn right you are. Uh, <laughs> Vernon Downs Casino. Uh, that's a surprisingly not easy but like attainable song to play. Like, that's exactly yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, Unless you're doing yeah. the guitar solo, yeah. anybody yeah. who's a musician can play that yeah. song. Yeah, very attainable. Um. And then I'm also going to put on uh, Burning Down the House because we played, we hadn't played it in a while, but we played it in two different places over this last big stretch of shows and it went over really well. Um, I like the Talking Heads more than anybody in the band. And unfortunately, the Talking Heads is not a band that has a ton of songs that are widely known enough to go with like what we kind of do. Um, so it's always nice to get a bit in when I can. Would you also argue that they're one of those bands where like their most famous songs are not their best songs? Uh, yeah, that's, that's almost every band. Well, right, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of a band where that's not the case, I think. No, I guess that's fair. 
Uh, I guess you're right. All right, that's it. Sayonara, humanoids. Uh, shout out to Phil Farda for coming back and joining us this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the countdown to Heather Waugh's return begins in earnest this week. Can't back. wait. Can't wait. You can follow her at Heather Waz one You can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow me at SF Doom or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. We are taking over the web. Uh, that's it. Sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time, and we will see you next week for another episode of the Uticast. Uh, hopefully I will have more hearing than I do currently. It feels like it's getting better. And hopefully it won't be uh, 82 degrees in the studio. You never know. Bye-bye now.